Greetings, comrades, and welcome to How the Left Was Won. My name is Mike. I'm Jake. And this is a podcast all about fascism and how to fight it. Hey, Jake, how was your uh, how has this past week for you been? Uh, it's been pretty all right. I actually got yesterday off of work because there wasn't enough to do. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. Meanwhile, I, I had to work. I mean, weekends are part are uh, like partial days. We don't work the whole day, but it was raining all day. Or at least while I was working, it led up later. I mean, as I was driving over, it was raining, but that's because, like, we live far enough away where there's different we- enough weather patterns. Yeah. Like, it's uh, not always the same yeah, between us. Yeah, where I live, especially where I work, is, like, there will be, like, rain surrounding it, and then where I work will just be dry lots yeah. of the time. But not today. Today was uh, very wet, very rainy. But, um, like, by the time I left, it was mostly letting up. And uh, but that rain might make me have to work tomorrow because, as I mentioned, I work at a golf course. I may have to fix up bunkers. I'm supposed to be off tomorrow, but uh, my supervisor called me and told me I may need to come in. But he's going to try and make that not happen. But um, yeah, anything else going on with you? Uh, not too much. You know, tomorrow's Father's Day, so yeah, yeah. We usually record on Sundays, but we decided to record on Saturday today because, uh, like, because like I want to take my dad out to dinner. Yeah, I'm going to be doing the same with mine. Yeah. Um, as for my week, um, not not too eventful. Um, I did not have a whole lot of time to do research into Mussolini, so we're reading more of his book. Which is a great way yeah. to research for him. Yeah, I, I did do some research, but not enough where I, I thought we could do a podcast episode, and I just didn't have time. Um, aside from that, um, I, I, I watched some horror shorts. I'm not a, not a huge fan of horror for the most part. Well, my relationship Same. with horror is weird, but YouTube recommended me a horror short, and I watched it, and I was like, well, now I'm going to watch some more. And then I was just on edge for, like, the past couple nights, and I was just <laughs> like, just like, well, now I can't sleep. I'm spooked. Yeah, I also have a weird relationship with horror where I've never liked watching horror movies, but I can get into, like, people talking or telling scary stories, reading them. Yeah, I don't... Uh, there's a lot of TikToks I'll watch where yeah. it's just horror. Yeah, like, I don't like horror movies or, like, mainstream horror TV. Like, it has to be, like, indie stuff. Yeah. I watched The Exorcist not that long ago. And, well, for one thing, I wasn't scared at all because the movie's, like... It, it's old enough to the point where a lot of the scares there are really just not scary anymore. Yeah. You know? Uh, it was a good film. I enjoyed it. But I... It wasn't really a horror film for me. Yeah, for me, like, the only, like, real horror films I actually like are uh, The Thing. John Carpenter's The Thing. Oh, that is a good movie. That's a fantastic movie. It's it's one of my favorite movies, just of all time, just because of the practical effects. That's one thing. It's just, like, if if I'm going to watch a horror movie, it has to have practical effects. It can't be yeah. CG. It's not going to be as good. And then Alien. Alien is just sick. I do remember watching that, and it is one of the few horror movies where I'm like, damn, I can get into this. Yeah, but I, I like I don't like horror movies or TV shows for the most part. I like ARGs, like horror ARGs. Just yeah, those they, are fun. Yeah, just because like, there's the mystery element to it. It's low budget, and I can appreciate that. And then I also like horror webcomics, including one that just finished recently called Stagtown, which I thought had a pretty satisfying ending. It kind of, cool. it kind of, it was a little bit fast, but it like cut to the chase. It's just like, hey, this is the end now. 
<laughs> it, it didn't like overstay its welcome too much because like i feel like it could have but anyway yeah that is a, another thing about horror actually it almost always if it's a like a profitable franchise it's going to overstay its welcome yeah know? like who's scared by friday the 13th anymore yeah but um yeah and like and the problem is is that like once you explain the monster it's not scary anymore I also hate it when, like, they make the monster invincible. Like, I want the people I'm watching to actually have a chance of, like, surviving the events. Yeah. If they don't have a chance, then why am I watching? I know the ending. Yeah. They die. Yeah, it's just like, or it's just like, hey, you can't beat this thing. But also, it's just like, it might leave you alone if you don't fuck around too much. Yeah, like, that's fine. If it's just, so long as there's a chance for survival... But there's a lot of horror movies, like some of the Friday the 13th, where it's like, you're coming up with all of these convoluted ways to keep fucking Jason alive. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, I don't want to dwell too much on the yeah. horror point, because this is not a podcast about horror. This is a podcast about fascism and how to fight it. True. But uh, anyway, like I said, we are going to be reading a couple more chapters of Mussolini's book, The Cardinal's Mistress. And before we get started on that, I do want to mention I did a little bit more research on the translator Hiram Motherwell, um, and and like at the after we read the introduction in last episode, we kind of came to the conclusion that he seemed kind of like sympathetic to fascism. Yeah. But in the research I've done on him leads me to be a little bit more iffy on that because I found it, I found his obituary in the New York Times. He died in 1945, uh, same year Mussolini died, and also Hitler, so interesting. Although he died of illness, he died of natural causes. Yeah. And unlike not... them. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so, like, the his obituary mentions a lot of stuff I mentioned about him, just like the books he wrote. But also, it mentions that um, he wrote for some newspapers, including uh, he wrote for... The Boston Transcript, which isn't a thing anymore. It doesn't exist. He wrote for the Fort Wayne Daily News. And then in, uh, from 1919 to 1927, he was a, a correspondent for the Chicago Daily News. And he was in charge of their news bureau in Rome for four years, um, where he narrowly escaped being kicked out uh, by Mussolini's government. So, at least according to the New York Times. Again... I don't yeah. know if Motherwell was lying about that or not, but, I mean, he was working for an actual publication, so I'd believe this. Yeah, I'm willing to at least grant him a, some legitimacy here in that he's probably not a fascist. Yeah, but he also, another thing he wrote was, um, he wrote a pamphlet called Germany, which is part of a series of pamphlets um, for something called toward a democratic foreign policy and basically each pamphlet was like a different about a different country and how what to do about it and its role like in the post-world war ii uh era because like uh his like these first couple they came out in 1944 and his like explicitly mentions that like most analysts think that germany is going to fall in the next couple months which it did Woo! Yeah, which is good. Well, I mean, it, it took more than a couple months because it came out in February 1944. It took a little bit longer, yeah. but, but whatever. Close enough, really. Yeah, yeah it, it got taken care of, and your cat is uh, yeah. on our table where we have our microphones connected to it. Uh, he's please. just hanging out. <laughs> okay. Just chilling. Okay, he's not causing any harm for right now, but uh, let's keep an eye on him. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, 
Yeah, but uh, his pamphlet, Germany, like I said, it was part of a series, and he kind of was, like, addressing, like, ideas on what to do with Germany. It's just like, hey, do we break up Germany into multiple states? One, like, and I don't know, like, how much of these are his ideas, or, like, I don't think they're all his ideas. I think he's just kind of describing, like, ideas people had. Yeah. And he, like, he's talking about, like, one idea was just, uh, like, sterilizing the male German population. Christ. Which he which he says is bad, which, I mean, yes, that is bad. Don't do that. That, that would be a Yeah, he's, like, addressing idea. all these ideas. It's like, no, like, Ger what Germany did was bad, and we need to do something about it, but this is going to lead to lots of people dying. Yeah. And I don't know how much of that is, like, him being like, hey, this is bad, and how much of it is him being sympathetic. But I don't, like, at this point, I don't think he was super sympathetic to the Nazis or the fascists. I don't know. Yeah. But that also raises the question, why did he translate the Cardinal's Mistress? Yeah, I guess he seems like he just... I'm willing to grant him now that he probably was just interested in how fascism was sort of functioning. Yeah, I, I can understand, like, maybe he just saw it as a curiosity. I mean, we're reading it out of curiosity. Yeah, and yeah. as far as I know, we're not fascists. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we are. I think this is a podcast about fighting fascists. Yeah. Fascist. <laughs> I think we are technically Antifa. We Even... are the woke mob yeah. coming for your children. Yeah. Even though, like, I've always had issues with that term because it sounds like an organization, even though I know it's not. Yeah, I kind of get what you mean. Yeah, where it's just like, I don't, like, I, I've never, like, been to an Antifa rally, but it's just like, I guess I'm Antifa, I'm against fascism. Yeah, I mean, I'm anti-fascist, like... so that makes me Antifa, I guess. But I, I, I kind of have, like, issues with labels in general. Yeah. Where it's just like, I don't, I don't want to be shoved into a box because things are more nuanced than that. But anyway, um... So, yeah, so he wrote that pamphlet, and uh, just for reference, the next pamphlet in the uh, in the series, which uh, I only ha know the second one because I'm reading from his, pamph his pamphlet, which just lists the next one in the series, like, that was going to come out the next month, which was uh, called China, which is understandably about China, uh, by someone named Mai Mai Se, who, I, from my very, very brief research, seems to be a Chinese painter. And that seemed hmm. to be, like, a stage name, kind of. That's interesting. I didn't know a whole lot. But uh, uh, Motherwell was also involved with the Committee uh, for Economic Development, I believe is what it was called. Yeah, Committee for Economic Development. And one of their, which came about, like, uh, like mid-World War II. And they were very big in, like, developing an economic plan for Europe and, like, how to deal with that. Uh, specifically, the Marshall Plan which saw uh, the United States transfer $13.3 billion to Europe, to Europe uh, which in today's money is $173 billion. Why are we sending so much money to Ukraine? We've been doing this shit forever. Yeah, no, it's like we, we've, we always do foreign aid. Yeah. Or you could be like Rand Paul, who's just like, we should eliminate all foreign aid, which would kill millions of people. Yeah. In this case, though, the Marshall Plan... Uh, a lot of the intent of it was, well, I guess let's just say not all of that money went to rebuilding. Yeah. A lot of it went to fighting communism. Yeah, but uh, obviously, and that's one thing, like, oh, God, we recruited Nazis because we were just like, we need to fight the commies. Listen, I only know. <laughs> your cat, your cat Leo, is chewing on, uh, so, so Jake's brother is kind of a right-wing shithead. 
<laughs> and he has this uh, flag up that's that has a cannon on it, and it says "Come and take it." And Leo was uh, attacking it, and I'm like, "Good, Leo. Yeah, Good, you are." <laughs> it, it's funny. Uh, there used to be an American flag behind me up here. Uh, Leo actually tore that one down. <laughs> Leo, Leo does not like U.S. imperialism. Yeah. Also, I like how you say "back here." No one can see you except for you me. can. You can. They can assume I'm referring to the uh, wherever I'm sitting behind me. There. Yeah, this is this is a podcast, Jake. This is not a visual medium. But uh, anyway, yeah. So. Yeah, like, oh, God, I know one thing with, like, the war in Ukraine. It's just like, oh, NATO recruited this Nazi. And it's like, yeah, they did, because they were being anti-communist. Because, which is what you, like, every time I see, like, someone, like, complain about Ukraine and NATO. And I mean, those have, like, there's valid criticisms of the Ukrainian government and NATO. But ultimately, (laughs) ultimately, we're against, we're, Russia invaded and that's bad. And so Russia needs to get the fuck out. But, um, like... I see lots of Russia supporters be like talk about how NATO hired a Nazi for a particular position that like was appointed to some office by Hitler. I forget what office, but I remember looking into the guy and it's just like, yeah, he was like, so first of all, obviously it's just like, yeah, he was recruited because NATO's entire thing was to be anti-communist. Yep. So it's just like, it's all about anti-communist paranoia, which lots of the people supporting Russia are for. So it's just like, you would have been okay with that. Yeah, guys complaining about this. And second of all, it's just like, yeah, he was he was hired by NATO and he was also appointed to a position by Hitler. But he was in that position for two weeks and then he got kicked out of the party entirely because he was suspected of being involved in a plot to assassinate Hitler. Yeah, which there were there was a plot to. Yeah, there uh, there was a failed plot to assassinate Hitler. And this guy in question did communicate with two of the people involved in that plot. But we don't know if he talked to them about the plot. So, but that but he got kicked out because they like, hey, you may have been involved in that. So yeah. we don't want you being part of the party, which like, is understandable. Yeah, I can understand the reasoning. There. Yeah. <laughs> uh, though I will say I have no, I do not doubt that the man was a Nazi given uh, the anti-communism. I don't know much else about him. So yeah. I don't know. He, probably anti He's He was willing to work for the German government. Well, I mean, government. there's lots of people, like, who are just, like, got appointed to positions who are just like, well, I do this job because I need money, and if I don't, they, they fire me, and then I can't get I have trouble finding another job because lots of jobs you just kind of need to be a Nazi for. That happened to, like, a lot of people in, like, clerical positions. It's like, oh, you, like, file away documents? Oh, you work for us now? And if you don't like that, you, you can quit. Yeah, the bureaucracy was increasingly yeah. just merging yeah, with not, the Nazi party. Not everyone who was like a card-carrying member of the Nazi party was like a Nazi Nazi. They were complacent with it, obviously. Yeah. Uh, like, I know the term that was used at the time was Mietlaufer, which basically just like means fellow traveler. You're going along to get along. And it's just like, yeah. that doesn't mean you're involved in all the bad stuff that they're doing, but you're definitely not doing anything against it. You're upholding it. Yeah, you know? you're, you're complicit in it. You're not you're not doing it, but you're complicit in it, and that's also bad. It's uh, like the quote about the table. If there's six people at a table and one of them's a Nazi, you have six Nazis. Yeah, it's just like... Yeah, it's just like you, what you're you're not involved in the bad stuff, but you're complicit in it, and that's still yeah. Bad. You're okay with it, and that ain't cool, chief. Yeah, it's just like I don't know exactly how he was involved in it in particular. It could it may it may not be as bad as it might seem at first I'm, glance, but still very bad. I'm I'd say in this case I'd be fairly confident. Yeah, that. it's just like that's fair. I'm not yeah. I'm not willing to split hairs over it for the most part. Yeah. 
not going to go to bat for yeah, a member I'm, I'm of the gonna, Nazi party. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm not going to like defend this guy. I'm just going to be like, hey, it might be a little bit more complicated, but still bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those things where it's just like things things can be more complicated than good good or bad. It's like this is this is more complicated than just being bad, but it's still bad. <laughs> yeah, there's like there's stuff to talk about there, but we can't really ignore the the rest of that. Yeah. But anyway, I'm not going to relitigate that. That's that's a different discussion. But anyway, let's read uh Mussolini's book. Uh which um just to preface it these two chapters, not as bad as the first one. No, they were a lot better. Still have lots of problems, including one like very glaring issue with the uh, the third chapter, which yeah. I, so far has been the just p- best chapter we've read. But there was just one glaring issue throughout the entire chapter where it's just like, no, this is bad. But it's just like, if it had been done differently, I would have been very good, honestly. But it was just like, just the way it was done, it was just like, it was very bad <laughs> instead. Yeah. But anyway. it is a very immediate change of quality from oh, the yeah, first no. chapter. No, like the tonal shift between chapter one to chapter two was just so jarring to me. Yeah, I don't have nearly as much shit. To t- I do have shit to talk, but not yeah. nearly as much. Anyway, let's get started with that. Um, I guess I'll start reading. I know you have your thing up, so we're going to alternate a few pages. Jake is actually reading from the scans of the document and not the transcription, so hopefully he won't have as many problems with reading (laughs) stuff as he did last time. Yep. So anyway, I guess I will start. Chapter 2. Emmanuel returned to Trent the same evening and after... So it says the same evening. I don't know if this is part of the flashback or part of the him like talking with claudia before the flashback so it's already unclear yeah i'm not entirely sure i'm assuming that it's during the flashback because he mentions uh a bit later on that claudia is not with him yeah but uh yeah just just a little ambiguous it's far from the worst thing ever but it could be fixed Emmanuel returned to Trent the same evening, and after eating with a few friends, temperately as was his custom when guests were not at his table, retired to his apartments. He read a few urgent papers which dealt with political matters, and then began to recite Virgil. Which, I mean, it's just like, you're just going to recite Virgil? (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, I guess there's not much else to do at that time, but still. Yeah, why would you recite it? Just Just read read it. it. Yeah. Yeah. What's the point? (laughs) He found comfort and support in the sweet Latin poet. The sense of poetry was not lacking in the Madruzo family. Cristoforo had been a poet of some small talent, as was evidenced by his Latin verses addressed to J. Vagnano de Arco. Emmanuel did not write verse, but in the hours of sorrow, he went to the great classics as one would go to trusted friends for consolation. After reading an entire canto of the Aeneid... He kissed a long silver crucifix and thinking of the distant Claudia went to sleep, which so already the first chapter chapter was way too descriptive. Yeah, this is better. Yeah, I mean, it's just like it's I I wish there was more description here. Yeah, like overly describing stuff to under describing stuff. Yeah, this is kind of it's very much better, but it's also not as good as yeah, it could. And also this is not super consequential to what's happening. Like this doesn't infl- this is not really relevant. 
Yeah. It's just this one random paragraph. Also, uh, I don't think we emphasized this a whole lot last time, but this is supposed to be satirical and critical of like, uh, cl- like the clerical, like the clergy yes. of the Catholic Church, which I mean, like fair, but uh, I don't think it was handled very well in the first chapter. Yeah, uh, that I did not get a hint of satire really from the first chapter, except maybe. Oh, he's a yeah. cardinal, but he has a mistress. Yeah, like from from like Mussolini's like anti-clerical stances, I don't expect this to be particularly nuanced. Yeah. I think it's just going to end up not being super satirical and just being just like on the nose about it cuz satirical yeah. has like some level of nuance to it. You have it. to have some subtlety at least. Yeah. But uh, I do like like the he kissed the log silver crucifix and then th- and then he started thinking of Claudia and she's like okay that's a little bit on the nose but I I understand what you're yeah. going for and I appreciate that a yeah little that bit. was actually kind of well done, I don't want to yeah. give it up to Mussolini <laughs> I don't really want to horrible dreams disturbed him all night long in the morning he was still in a heavy slumber when his valet according to orders knocked lightly on his door to awaken him. Emmanuel arose. He dressed quickly. He was going, simply clothed, and without the luxury of useless adornment, to the audience hall beneath. A huge crowd awaited him. There were officials of the guard and officials of police come to ask orders and present reports. There were priests from the mountain valleys come to confide to the cardinal their secret worries. There were merchants demanding, no doubt, the remittance or the diminution or the diminution of their taxes. I always read that as diminution, and it doesn't help that, that in my version the word is split between two lines. Uh, yeah. There were peasants recognizable by their hats, their wrinkled and bronzed faces, and their enormous boots. There were the poor who had suffered some misfortune and placed their hopes in the justice of the great lord. And I don't know if this is in your version, but in my version, lord is not capitalized. Uh, correct in mine as well. Yeah, which I I, I don't know if this is motherwell doing this as part of the translation or if this is like how it was written in the original but i like i get what he's going for when he like does not capitalize that yeah i assume it's actually referring to the cardinal since uh a lot of times uh you know the clergy would be considered almost as though they were nobles or lords themselves i i think it's in reference to god i'm not positive because it he's holding court and presumably going to dispense yeah but but i it sounds like the merchants are coming to him to like ask for like him to like uh because like like priests are supposed to be like the go-between between like the common people and god yeah so i think that's i think it's supposed to be in reference to god but i can see where you're coming from too yeah nor were there lacking the barristers wearing spectacles on their hooked noses and carrying huge leather portfolios regurgitating documents and official papers in the rear of the hall pressed the usual miserable throng of wretches begging their daily arms alms not arms uh all alms yeah i, sorry. I, I think i said alms just am but uh i i know it was alms but uh yeah. i just the new england accent yeah good old new england anyway do you want to pick it up from here sure at the appearance of the cardinal silence fell don benizio ludovico particella jacob mercy the doctor and ex academician it's just say academic yeah yeah it's just like there's there's extra letters at the end of that word yeah mario guidello the son of the famous trentine 
physician and philosopher Orazio Petrolini, the quibbling lawyer Giovanni Levigi, 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 who knows, the veterinary and supervisor of the stables. Oh, uh, next page. Pentator Corrado, Pentator. Uh, the major domo uh, were present. All bowed before Emmanuel. Uh, so one thing I noticed is that, with the exception of uh, Don Benizio, who comes, who was mentioned in the first chapter, by the way. Yes. And he he's actually I checked this. I was searching through the transcription. Just Control F. Uh, he comes up quite a bit, although it doesn't really tell us who he is. He's like some, like, he's like he has some place in the clergy, but I'm not sure what. Um, but like the re- and, uh, Ludovico Particello, we know is Claudio's father. And as for the rest of them, they only like come up like this is like the first like the only place in the entire book that they're mentioned. I think like a couple of them maybe get mentioned once later from what I was searching. Yeah. Again, the transcription was not perfect, so they may be mentioned and it was just like in places where the text was not properly transcribed. But like they get name dropped, we don't know who they are, and then they're kind of just forgotten about. And it's just like, that's bad. <laughs> that is completely useless yeah. to write. There were but few affairs of sufficient importance to be treated personally by the cardinal. The order was given to clear the hall. The crowd retired into the lateral corridors. While the counselors of the prince were attending to the minor affairs in the hall, Emmanuel withdrew to his private chambers to hear and ad- adjudicate the more weighty matters. The private chamber was not large, but it was furnished with a feeling for beauty. In the center was a walnut table covered with books and papers and surrounded by a few high-backed and exquisitely inlaid chairs. A very rich carpet lay on the floor, and long curtains of velvet concealed the windows and the door. The ceiling was a prodigy of decoration. Upon the walls hung portraits of the Madruzo ancestors. So I, I, th- I think that's like... A good amount of description right there yeah. maybe a little bit more could be there but like it's it's better it's so far it's better yeah for sure I, i'm not bored out of my mind just hearing descriptions of nobles yeah. showing up yeah this is much better than what he was doing in the last chapter at least here we have an actual sense for what his private like chamber is we know what it looks like yeah uh, it's actually decently well done yeah but anyway i guess i'll pick up from here here only a few months before a beautiful and innocent girl had been imprisoned by order of emmanuel madruzzo his niece filiberta the unhappy girl was the only daughter of the dead count victor madruzzo and thus heiress to all the family wealth accordingly as the chroniclers relate many sought her hand in marriage knights and princes of Italy and of Germany, under conditions which would have brought the bishop glory and tranquility. Emmanuel had rejected them all. He rejected the intervention of great princes and sovereigns. He desired instead to give her hand in marriage to Vincent Particella, son of the counselor Ludovico, a young man of the most noble qualities. But Filiberta loved with a love that was profoundly reciproca- reciprocated the Count Antonio de Castelnuovo, so, so, uh, Filiberto was, uh, so, Madru- Emmanuel wanted to marry his niece to, uh, w- a member of the Particella family. Yeah, so his lover's brother, yeah. I believe. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, he was the son of, uh, the counselor Ludovico. Ludovico. Yeah, so, should be, uh, her brother. 
Yeah. From this arose the quarrel with the uncle who perhaps dreamed of finding in the house of Particella the heir of the Principate. Finally, he sent her into virtual imprisonment in the convent of the Holy Trinity. The news of this imprisonment had profoundly excited the imagination of the people, and the cardinal lost thereby a great part of his popularity. And and then this part's in quotation marks. I don't know why. Yeah. It's just like, it could have just been part of the part of like the sentence drawing unto himself the hatred and aversion of many citizens it's like it's like it's quoting like like some external text or quote like so- something someone said but no it's just part of the text it yeah, doesn't no, need it, to be in quotation marks it's just a sentence there yeah nobody's saying it yeah the petitions urged by the count antonio de castel nuovo for the liberation of filiberta and for her hand were shipwrecked upon the irrevocable decision of the prince it was said that he was influenced by Claudia, against whom no one hesitated to cast the stones of calumny and abomination. Claudia of the dark and devilish eyes. Claudia who walked among the humble folk like a sorceress capable of any crime. Claudia who had willed the seclusion of Filiberta, her troublesome and dangerous li- rival. In this form, the legend leaped from mouth to mouth. So Claudia is actually doing something now, or yeah. she has done something, because this is also technically a flashback. Or is at least presumably, uh, like, doing something, because we don't know for sure that she's the one doing it yet, yeah. uh, but, because it, it's people just blaming the woman. Yeah, but we get a little bit more description of her now. She has dark and devilish eyes. Yeah. But not much aside from that. But I don't understand what her motivation is, because I understand it's related to uh filiberta like emmanuel wanting to marry filiberta to uh her like claudia's brother so i i can under so there's a connection there i don't understand what the motivation is still i guess it would be for like the wealth i but i i don't know yeah it's he doesn't write it out i guess we're meant to infer that you know it's like a race for the wealth of house madruzo yeah but i don't think she would be getting it yeah, no, her brother would. Yeah. I guess, not even mentioning that she's already the lover of the Cardinal, so she already has his wealth at her beck and call. Yeah, it's just like, I, I don't, like, I, I understand what, like, the connection that would lead to the motivation, but I don't understand what the motivation is itself. Yeah. Like, it, it seems vague and unconvincing. But, um, yeah, but Claudia has actually done something now. She has agency to some extent. At least she's presumably done whereas something. Bef- whereas before, all she did was stick her hand in, in uh, some water. <laughs> yeah, notoriously the most active role you can take in a conversation. Yeah. Uh, you want to continue from here? Sure. Meanwhile, Filiberta had refused the veil in the expectation that she would be liberated. <laughs> <laughs> she thinks that she has rights. This is this is 17th century Italy. <laughs> Women don't have rights. What a fucking idiot. Uh, months passed, and instead of the liberation so ardently desired, came death. Nice. Woo. Perfectly. That, like, you can't always get what you want. <laughs> One, I guess she was liberated from this mortal fucking coil. <laughs> <laughs> One evening, the mother superior herself opened the ancient creaking portal, for the visitor was none other, none other than the bishop and prince. Emmanuel's valet and the coachman remained in the courtyard. 
Guided by a sister, the cardinal crossed a long corridor. From the little closed cell could be heard the faint murmuring of prayer. At the end of the corridor was the room occupied by Filiberta. Emmanuel entered with a hesitating step. He placed his coat in one corner and approached the bed on which the unhappy girl lay in agony. Uh, the night had already descended and through the tiny window could be heard the chirping of the crickets in the stubble. The room, a little larger than the ordinary cells, contained but two chairs, a bed, and the little table upon which stood an oil lamp. Gigantic black shadows were limbed on the yeah, white limbed. walls. L-I-M-N-E-D. I don't know what that word is, but whatever. Yeah, I uh, guess with context. I, I understand what it's trying to say, to, at least. Yeah, depict or describe in painting or words. Huh. I don't know. Suffuse or highlight something with a bright color or light. Well, I would not call a shadow that. Yeah, that doesn't seem to fit. I don't know. Uh, he's being artistic with it. Whatever. Yeah. From time to time, a sob of the sick girl rent the silence. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah, this word. Thesisis. Thysis. Thysis? Thysis. Like, it, like the P, it's P-H-T-H-I-S-I-S. -I -I like, like... The PH, like, you can just kind of, like, ignore it and just say thysis. Thysis. I, yeah, okay. just say thysis. Like, it's a, it's a bad word. It's one of those words that you look at it, it's like, fuck that word. Yeah, who fucking came up with it? Yeah. What a piece of shit. I, it has to do with, like, decomposition, like, from, like, specifically from, like, tuberculosis. Oh, okay, I see. Yeah. I know but there's it... a Magic the Gathering card with that name. Of course there is. Should have just said tuberculosis Yeah, that's or the something. only reason I know that word from prior to this. Yeah, but Thysis had emaciated Filiberta's countenance, and a cadaverous pallor had taken the place of the rose glow of first youth, but the eyes which had become deeper preserved all their passionate intensity. The eyes were fixed immovably on one point. The girl's disordered hair fell over the pillow, her hands lay underneath the covers beneath which her body was indicated by a scarcely visible line. Emmanuel dared not speak. The sight of Filiberta dying had turned him to stone. He was the person solely and uniquely responsible for her miserable end. He had had her imprisoned, yielding perhaps to the threats or the prayers of Claudia. He had kept her imprisoned, caring not for the protests of the people or for the prayers of her true lover. He had deprived his niece of the son, and above all, he had violated the instinct of her heart by seeking to marry her to a man whom she did not and never could love. Yeah, so I, I, it does make it clear. It's just like, I do like, it's like, this is his fault. Yeah. He did this. He's taken some responsibility there, unlike the last chapter. Well, I don't know if he's necessarily taken responsibility, but the, but the book is ascribing responsibility to him. It does seem that he is, like, uh, considering it his fault. Yeah. Like, the sight of Filiberta dying had turned him to stone. Yeah. He's at the very least shaken. Yeah. Anyway, I'll pick up from here. Emmanuel Madruzo must now eat of the fruit of his obstinacy. Before him lay the innocent victim. Remorse clutched his heart. He could not succeed in calming himself with illusory hopes, and the <laughs> projects for the future which were crossing his imagination... Too late. All his faith, all his riches, and all his titles, his blood itself, would not have arrested the progress of the malady nor exercised the imminent catastrophe. Horrible situation. Really? <laughs> <laughs> 
the uncle responsible for Philiberta's death. If a miracle could have saved her, he would have flung open all the doors of the convent to give her, her to liberty, to life, to the man whom she loved. Too late. Emmanuel fixed his eyes upon those of Philiberta. He sought to penetrate them, to read within the motionless pupils of the thoughts passing through the soul of the dying girl. What were those eyes saying? Was she pardoning him or cursing him? Emmanuel leaned over the pillow, stroked the damp forehead, and cried, Philiberta! Philiberta! But he had tamed no response. Call her, said Emmanuel to the sister who was praying at the foot of the bread bed, and the sister called, Philiberta! Philiberta! It's just like, that's not going to help. Yeah, no, uh, she's probably dead. Yeah. Well, she's not dead yet, but well, she's, she's yeah. almost there. But it's just like, you calling her name isn't going to help, and then making the nun that's also there call her name is also yeah, not going to help. she's clearly unconscious or does not have the power to speak. Yeah, it's just like, that's not going to help. Yeah. In vain, Philip, uh, oh, Philip, like, in vain was, uh, like, calling out her name. Yeah. Philiberta did not reply. Hear me, Philiberta, Emmanuel implored her again. Hear me, I am your uncle. I have come to get you and make you well and take you away. A nervous shudder seized the head of the dying girl. Did she perhaps hear the frantic call? She sank again into her previous immobility. The sobbing ceased. Emmanuel knelt down, took Philiberta's hand, and covered it with kisses, continuing to call her. The desperation of this fifty-year-old man, who had come to be present at the death agony of his victim, was perhaps more tragic than the destiny of the unhappy one who was dying. No, it, it, that's not true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm so sad that this that my my niece is dying. It's like she's she's the one who's dying, and you imprisoned her for like months. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, your fate is going to be much better than that. Yeah. In a broken voice, he repeated, "Philiberta, forgive me." Forgive me the evil that I have done you. Forgive your old uncle. Suddenly, as though impelled by the lash, Emmanuel rushed out of the cell, dashed up the stairway, and entered the convent church. His steps awoke long and fearful echoes. The church was immersed in darkness. A tiny hanging lamp indicated the high altar. Emmanuel knelt down with his forehead touching the ground. The stones of the pavement gave, gave forth a hollow sound. Beneath were the crypts of the dead. At last he permitted his tears to flow unchecked. His sobbing echoed ominously. One who had seen him in that hour would have rushed away crying, A madman! A madman! <laughs> yes, Emmanuel was mad. The reason of this man approaching the sunset of life was tottering. Destiny's blow was too brutal. How long did he remain in the deserted chapel invoking a god who could not grant his petition? At last, Emmanuel left the chapel. He passed like a black phantom through the corridor and turned toward the cell of Philiberta. The sister was still praying at the foot of the bed. She arose as the cardinal entered and said, She is dead! At this news, a single piercing cry burst from Emmanuel's breath. It filled the rooms, echoed in the corridors, and lost itself in the impenetrable night. At last the sister raised, his head, raised her head. She gently lifted Philiberta's arms and crossed them on her breast. Upon it, she laid a crucifix and a rosary. Then she straightened the bed covers, drew a white veil over the dead girl's forehead. Then she filled the lamp and departed. So, so he's he's displaying remorse. Yeah, here, like he he's uh he's freaking out. Like, Who knew clearly. Mussolini knew what that emotion was? <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, there's some stuff I read in in like about him regarding this like like how he was emotionally and it's just like, oh, that's not great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll get we'll get to that when um when we actually do more on Mussolini himself. But just some yeah. like in the book uh, I'm using as my primary source. Oh, just one of the lines was just so good. Like the entire paragraph was so good, but this one sentence I just have to read. It was so good. Um Anyway, I, I'll let you continue from here. This next part, so he's displaying remorse. Uh, this next part uh, immediately throws all that out the window. <laughs> the cardinal followed her. In the corridor, he turned and said quietly to her, You will not give an indication to a living soul of what has happened tonight. I order that Filiberta be buried before dawn. And above all, I desire that no one give out notice of her death. Later, I shall send further orders. For the moment, it is necessary to keep her secret. I have complete confidence in the men who have accompanied me. You are responsible for the sisters who are under you. So, so immediately gone. The remorse is gone. Yeah, just immediately. He's already, like, plotting so people don't know. Yeah, I'm kind of reminded of the Emperor's New Groove when, uh... Isma is giving the eulogy for Cusco, oh, yeah. and then and then she just goes, "Well, he's not getting any debtor. <laughs> Back to work." <laughs> that that's it. It's just like she's not getting any debtor. That's it. Yep. It's like immediately back to business as normal. Yep. The well, aside from you know the just bury her. Oh, Don't yeah. tell anyone. Just do that. We're good now. Yeah. <laughs> the old nun bowed low and assured him that she would fulfill the desires of her superior with perfect obedience, and to the last detail. Emmanuel rejoined his valet and coachman, who were sleeping while they waited. They were not aware of the pitiable condition of their lord. The horses were whipped into a gallop. Emmanuel wished to reach the castle quickly. He needed to hide himself. It seemed to him that all the shadows of night accused him, that he was being pursued by a procession of phantoms, whose mission it was ceaselessly to renew remorse in his heart. Yeah, I mean, given what you just did, yeah, I'm not. I don't really feel inclined to pity you for that. Yeah, it's just like you imprisoned your niece for several months, and then she died, and now you're going to cover this up. Yeah, uh, what a what a modern man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at a certain point in the road, it seemed to him that the dead niece appeared before him, determined to obstruct his passage. So he's seeing ghosts now. Yep. Good. Good. That's good. She was dressed in white and was so tall that she seemed to touch the stars, which glittered in the main night. The coach passed. It was the monstrous vision of a hallucinated brain. Emmanuel closed his eyes that he might see no more. From the meadows, the crickets continued to chirp their monotonous song. Yeah. So, at least there's plot now. Yeah, we have actual plot. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure how this is related to the grand romance. (laughs) I guess it's mildly since Claudia might have you know, pushed them to do this. Well, yeah, it's just like she she's somehow involved in this, but her motivations are still unclear. Yeah. And the only real indication we have that it was her was that people were saying that it was her who pushed him to do this. That might not be true, technically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's uh, the end of chapter two. Uh, better than chapter one. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, definitely a huge step up. Yeah. I still not a whole lot of dialogue. A lot of it was yeah. description. Some of that description was superfluous, especially like him like 
going like doing his like nightly rituals like him going like eating going back to his chamber reading virgil thinking of claudia kissing the no, reciting virgil remember yeah Not reciting reading. virgil yeah it was like that was pretty much unnecessary like yeah. there's another like the only thing that was like i thought was necessary was him think kissing the crucifix and thinking of claudia because it's like okay yeah. that's like that's uh like helps develop like his character and his yeah. mindset but just it's like there's easier there's better ways to implement that yeah there's better ways to do it than describing his nightly routine yeah but so far better i yeah. don't know how many people would read this chapter after reading the first one yeah, like, the first one was not a good hook. Yeah, no, it was bad. I guess if you started with chapter two, you might like it, but then you don't get introduced to the main character, uh, like, in a proper way. You hear of his nighttime ritual. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, on to chapter three. Uh, actually, uh, what, like, because these d chapters don't have titles, what would we call that that previous chapter? Let's get, like, because I mentioned that in the previous episode. Let's give these chapters titles. Right, yeah. Do you have an idea? I don't know. I should have thought of that beforehand. Yeah. We're good I, at this. I wasn't thinking about it, but yeah. it would have to be hypocrite. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's the entire point of the book. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know. Uh, guy in prison's niece. Yeah, guy in prison's niece. Yeah. Local man in prison's niece in convent. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's probably some religious word that would be, like, yeah. really good for it. Yeah. If I was willing to, like, scroll through a bunch of, like, like a fucking glossary of Catholic terms. Yeah. But anyway, I will let you begin chapter three. Okay. Two months had passed since the death of Filiberta, and the secret of her untimely end had been kept. But the Count de Castel Nuovo, concerned at the long silence of his betrothed, had made inquiries at the castle, at the office of the Aulic Council, uh, at the convent of the Mother Superior, and of various influential personages. The Mother Superior, obedient of the order received from the Cardinal, had replied to the Count de Castel, Nue Castel Nuovo that Filiberta had been transferred to another convent in Italy in care of the order of the buried alive. <laughs> <laughs> right, I forgot about that line. <laughs> It's just like, it's just like. Well, I mean, it's not even true because she's not buried alive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, she's going for a euphemism, but it's not even a, like correct. Yeah. I guess there's a metaphor there. Like, she's buried, but we're still saying she's alive. Yeah. Uh, she she's uh, in the Silly. care of the order of the buried alive. <laughs> yeah, she came up with it on the spot. Yeah. There's no order called that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, really? When was this order founded? Uh, a while ago. <laughs> you know, uh, Jesus spoke to this guy who had been buried alive. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Jesus founded it, actually. You know, he was technically buried alive. Yeah. <laughs> Just, like, digging a hole further and further. Yeah. Uh... But this declaration, far from quieting the spirit of the Count, agitated it only the more with doubt and suspicion. Really? Really? Count Order of the Buried Alive wasn't convincing to you? <laughs> yeah, like, what's up, man? Uh, I was convinced. Yeah, no, I, I'd say this story checks out. Yeah, no, uh, I'm... Let, let me just go check with them. What's their address? Yeah, the Mother Superior load rolled a really bad on her deception check. Yeah. <laughs> 
Claudia had not moved from Castel Toblino. Vainly, she awaited the moment when she could return as the legitimate Princess of Trent. Right, she's still in the Castel Toblino where, like, uh, Emmanuel sent her to be protected by ruffians before he decided yeah. to go and fuck her anyway. Yeah. Keep her away from me, you ruffians. <laughs> Actually, I'm gonna go have sex with her. Hey, no, fuck it. BRB. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Fra Luigi had brought bad news from Rome. I love. I know Luigi is a real name, but also it's very funny seeing it. Yeah, and I, and I think this is like the, like this paragraph is the only time where Fra Luigi gets mentioned. <laughs> Again, another name that gets dro- dropped and then immediately forgotten. Yeah, uh, he's just the bearer of bad news. Yep. Pope Innocent X, in a letter written by his own hand and given to Fra Luigi for transmission to the Cardinal Emmanuel Madruzzo, stated that he found the latter's requests strange and sinful. But the Cardinal had not laid down his arms. When Innocent X died and Alexander VII mounted the throne, Claudia's lover had invoked the the intercession of the Queen of Spain and the King of Hungary. In his petitions, he prayed the the pontiff paternally to concede the privilege of returning to the lay state and taking a wife, and reinforced his supplications with the attestations of his confessors, from Macario of Venice, of the Minori Osservanti, and Vettore Barbacovi, of the Cathedral of Trent. Again, more names that get dropped and forgotten about. And then also... There's another section that's, like, in quotes, again, the paternally, like, the part where he's, like, asking about, like, paternally to concede the privilege of returning to the lay state and taking a wife. That's in quotes. It's like, that doesn't need to be in quotes. I guess it it's at least more justifiable yeah, this I guess time, it, since I guess it's supposed to it be... could have been a quote from the letter. Yeah, and I guess also it could be euphemistic, but again, yeah. I still don't think that needs to be quote, it, in quotes. It, it definitely doesn't, but yeah. I I guess there's at least more justification for it. Yep. Uh, let's see. The cardinal was so confident of obtaining from the court of Rome the permission to doff the sacerdotal habit and assume the estate of a free and married man that he had even ordered the bride's wedding apparel. So, so he's basically writing to the pope. So he wrote to the to Pope Innocent the tenth. Hey, can I quit so I can get married? And the pope was just like, No, bro, you can't. And so Pope Innocent the tenth died and. Alexander the Seventh comes in, and he writes a letter to Alexander the Seventh saying, "Hey, can I quit and get married?" Yeah. <laughs> and and this time, uh, Emmanuel is like so convinced, he's like, "He'll say yes." That yeah. He immediately buys a wedding dress for for Claudia. <laughs> I I guess this time he does have the Queen of Spain and King of Hungary on his side. Yeah, he, he's put. Well, I think he's just like he might be referenced, like invoking something that happened in the past. Just be like, "Hey, there's precedent for it. I could be wrong." It's not entirely I, I, clear. I, I think know. in this case, he's asking for them to, like, back him up, basically. Maybe? I'm not entirely that, sure. Like, invo- intercession. Yeah, yeah. I, I suppose. Yeah. But, um, yeah, he's but he's still putting the uh, cart before the horse. Yeah, he's still assuming that it's just going to work out. Yeah. But while he was lulling himself in these sweet hopes, internal events placed the very existence of the Principate in serial in serious peril so him just like asking to quit is like like detrimental to like the well-being of the state yeah it's just like okay it's just like <laughs> when wanting to when when uh wanting to fuck a chick 
is might lead to the downfall of your country. <laughs> Pretty sure that's what happened to the Targaryens in Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, comparing Mussolini's shitty book to Game of Thrones. Yeah, to Rhaegar Targaryen. <laughs> <laughs> After two months, the very walls of the Convent of the Holy Trinity were speaking. Don Benizio, as a result of many mysterious subterfuges, had succeeded in penetrating the secret. He had said nothing about it to the Aulic Council to avoid precipitating events, but he had informed two of the five priests who composed the chapter of the cathedral. The entire chapter was immediately convoked for the first Sunday in August. To avoid creating suspicion, they chose for their meeting place the house of Don Benizio near the Piazza di Fiera. So, already the secret's out. That was yeah. very quick. Yeah, I guess two months, but they just skipped over two months. Yeah, I don't know how he learned the secret. Yeah, no, they just, he, he just looked into it and found out. Yeah. That was not a well-kept secret. Yeah, no, that was that was very easy. Anyway, I'm going to pick it up from here. Um, sure. This is So here we are, we're going to, getting into the actual meeting. And this is where my main problem that I mentioned like before we started reading actually starts to come in. It's not immediate here, but it will start to come in very soon and i'll bring it up as it starts at the hour appointed the five priests of the chapter were present they were joined by don benizio who was to impart the expected information a council of priests is always a funereal affair the costume itself inspires dread these five prelates were the bitterest enemies of the cardinal so these guys are not on emmanuel's side they had severely censured him first for having absented himself from the city in the moment of great distress of his flock to wit during the epidemic of 1630 so that that part the, about the epidemic is also in quotes again for some reason yeah but um yeah the epidemic of 1630 was just like an outbreak of the plague from like 1629 to 1631 right and i like and i was like just like when i looked into this just to like get an idea of what this was Apparently, this uh, lots of uh, historians believe that this had like a major impact on the ur urbanization of Italy. Like it stunted <laughs> the urbanization like a ton. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's a topic for further research. Just in yeah. off time, that's not related to this. But I found that kind of interesting. Yeah. Are they writing this down? Is that why that's in quotes? Like, maybe. What's going on? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe someone said it in universe, but at the same time, there's no indication that someone said it yeah. in, in universe. It would be kind of weird for them to say that unless they were like transcribing. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, he, so they censured him for absenting himself during the pandemic. Then for the scandal of his affair with Claudia Particella. And finally, for maladministration of public affairs. So it's just like, hey, you, were, you ran away when your city was in trouble with the plague. Then you had this affair with this woman, and then you're just kind of just bad with your, yeah, at your you're, job. <laughs> you're just kind of bad at ruling, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like these two very specific examples, and then like a vague one. You would think that they would support him in trying to leave the clergy then. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Their hatred dated from the year 1631, when his fervid appeal to the Cardinal Barberini, another name that is never brought up again, I don't think, <laughs> had procured the appointment of Giovanni Todeschini, again another name, his own agent in Rome, as Deacon of Trent. 
the cannons were disgusted that a newcomer should attain at a single bound the supreme capu capitulary dignity. They submitted a complaint to Rome. The litigation had lasted 18 years. Gee. That's a long time. Yeah, this court case has been going on for a while. Yeah. Hey, we think this guy is shit at his job. We Here's the formal complaint. Oh, yeah, we'll take care of that right away. File, puts it in filing cabinet. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm guessing maybe some popes died and sort of got buried in the <laughs> middle of it. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't know. Further, the chapter had recently sent a petition to the Imperial Council praying that it mitigate the administrative disorders of the Bishopric. Bishopric, Bish yeah. Yeah, now that, I, now that you say it, that's what that word is, but it's just like such a weird word that I don't get it at first. Yeah, I just know it from Crusader Kings. Yeah. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> As representatives of Caesar, they descended upon Trent, the Bishop of Bressanone, and the Baron Tobia de Hanlitz. Just stop bringing up all these names that you're never going to mention ever again. Yeah, come on, dude. I don't please. even know. Like, these might be real people, but I feel, feel like that might make it even worse, because you're bringing up these real people, yeah. and then they're not going to do much. You're bringing in historical characters. For no reason. That's if they even are historical. Yeah, true. Which they might not... I assume the popes are, at least. Yeah, of course the popes are. A compromise was reached, whereby the bishop must, in affairs of my major importance, request the assistance of the chapter and submit to their common decision. This compromise was a severe blow to the cardinal's authority. The chapter did not confine itself to the superior supervision and direction of sacred and profane matters but it intervened directly in questions concerning the Principate and even felt free to censure the Cardinal's private actions. Hence, not one of the six persons seated at the table in Don Benizio's library was well disposed towards Emmanuel Madruso. So, so things are looking bad for our boy Emmanuel. Yeah. Which you would assume would help his request. Yeah, but also at the same time, it's just like, I don't think we needed as much detail on uh, like how the council is formed and like yeah. what they do. Also, I, I was kind of lying about, like, the problem that I have, major problem I have with this chapter came in. I thought it was going to come in a bit quicker than this, but it's, oh. and it still hasn't. Yeah, it's a bit later. Yeah, it, it sh I think it starts on the next uh, page is where the problems actually start. The meeting opened with a, with the sign of the cross made by all present. Of course, they're of all course. they're all priests. They're all like high ranking members of clergy. So they're of course all a they're bunch going... of fucking losers. <laughs> What a bunch of prudes. Yeah. Followed by a few prayers absentmindedly mumbled in Latin. I remember reading that almost like as someone who was just like, like we both, like we mentioned like in a previous episode, we both grew up Catholic. It's just like, yeah. yeah, no, that's accurate. Like having said um, the Nicene Creed and mass so many times, it's like, yeah, no, just it always gets mumbled. Yeah. You just kind of get through it. Yeah. You go through the motions of it. And I remember reading that. And I was like, yeah, that's accurate. That is yeah. very accurate. <laughs> That's pretty much just how it goes. Yeah, it's just like it's like it's just like today. Wow, they're just like me. <laughs> Since the obscurity of night was already descending in the small room, a lamp was lighted in the center of the table. The faces of the ecclesiastics remained in remained in shadow. Don Benizio began. You all know my honored colleagues of the tragic end of Filiberta. At this news, none of the prelates moved or showed any serious perturbation. Yeah, yeah, we all know. We yeah. know, dude. Yeah, what's up? 
only the prior extended on the table with his hands with their long fingers crooked like the claws of a beast of prey. The death occurred two months ago. Inquiries were made by persons interested in learning the secret which surrounded the sad event. The Cardinal, and this, my venerable colleagues, will hardly surprise you, the Cardinal Emmanuel Madruzzo, our shepherd and prince, ordered, while the remains of the unhappy virgin were yet warm, that they should immediately be entombed in the subterranean crypts of the convent church, and ordered the Mother Superior to preserve silence. But the betrothed of Filiberta, the Count Antonio de Castelnuovo, insistently demanded information concerning her, and was unable to content himself with the laconic de declarations which were made to him at the casta castle and at the convent. He informed me of, the, of his doubts, and he communicated to me his suspicions. He begged my advice. I thereupon proceeded to the convent of the Holy Tr Trinity, but without result. The sister faithfully obeyed the order she had received, and refused to enter in particulars as to the death of Filiberta. The despairing count proposed to me that we, we should enter the convent by night. I agreed. The fate of Filiberta interested me, because it interests our entire population, and because I hope to be able to restore the recluse by some happy stroke to safety and liberty. So, yeah, uh, they just decided to break into this place. Yeah. Uh... Uh, the problem is not, still not quite apparent, but it's starting to become apparent. Which yeah. uh, it'll probably become apparent as you begin to read. Which uh, I'm gonna have you pick up here. Okay, yeah, I do want to say real quick that it would have been nice to know that he had uh, talked to Antonio before. Yeah, like they just say, yeah, he made some inquiries and found out, uh, but they didn't mention that Antonio had come to Benicio at all. Yeah, that's a good point. That's something I didn't even think about. It's like, like we're hearing it later. Maybe like, maybe just like a paragraph, like in between. I don't yeah. know. It's not entirely necessary, but just like a sentence, like he figured it out after Antonio came to him, yeah. would have worked to um, actually not reveal this as new information. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It, it's weird. Yep. Anyway, here we go. Okay. The exordium, spoken in a calm yet vibrant voice, challenged the interest of all present. All heads were bent over the table and were illuminated by the light of the lamp. The eyes of the prior gleamed with an evil curiosity. At dusk, continued Don Benizio, we scaled the wall at the easiest point and hid ourselves to await the night in the high grass of an abandoned orchard. We were both armed. Why? You're in a fucking convent. <laughs> Yeah, with weapons. Yeah, this is... That's kind of a Yeah, it's like, what are the nuns going to do to you? They're yeah. nuns. They are wearing fucking huge-ass clothes that... Not really fighting clothes. Yeah. Uh, how concerning. We heard the bell summoning the nuns to evening prayer, and there came to our ears the notes of a hymn of thanksgiving chanted in the choir of the church. After the service was over and the nuns had withdrawn... We stealthily entered the church and remained some time motionless behind a column. On the day, oh, whoops, on the altar shone the customary light. The shadows of our bodies were projected in gigantic proportions upon the walls of the nave, upon the lateral altars, upon the organ behind. That's useless information. Yeah. The silence was so profound that we could hear the accelerated beating of our own hearts. Neither of us dared speak or take a step for fear we would awaken the echoes of the dead. 
Okay, so here's where my problems begin with this chapter. And to be, and to be fair, so far I think this is my favorite chapter, but this is a major problem I have, is that if this, if this was written just the, like differently, I would think this is great. But my problem is, is that this is like description of what's happening given through dialogue. Yeah. Like instead of just describing them breaking in to the convent, he's having a character do it. Yeah, and it is, I was noticing that too. It's like huge walls of text that are all dialogue describing what happened instead of just like having it be described by like the narrator. Yeah. Like, and, and like this, like the next, like for the rest of the chapter, Don Benicio becomes the narrator. And I believe at one point the book even like refers to him as the narrator. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, no, this is bad. And it's just like, we don't need the description of how they got into the crypt. Like he doesn't need to be giving it to the rest of these guys. Yeah. Like all the like fine details. Like you can just say, Hey, we broke in and the, what, here's what we found. Mm-hmm. Like if, if this was not given through dialogue, like if there was just a chapter like of them breaking in instead of, Hey, here's the meeting and here's him describing them breaking in yeah. and said, just have the book describe them breaking in as opposed to it being through dialogue, would have been so much better. It would have been a lot better done. It's just better writing to not have a character go on for fucking ten pages describing what he did yeah. instead of just describing it as the narrator. Yeah, d- just describing it as part of like the description of the scene and not having it be dialogue. Yeah. You could even just do like a paragraph where you say he explained to them what he did, interspersed some dialogue. Yeah. And that would be better too. Yeah. But it's just like just making the, for lack of a better term, like stage directions dialogue or like yeah. scene description dialogue. It's just so bad. It really is. Yeah. It's like if they had just changed that, like if, if Mussolini had just not done that, it would have been a lot better. Yeah, for sure. Get with it, Mussolini. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah. Finally, I decided to shake the Count, who seemed lost in an ocean of turbid thoughts and macabre fantasies. Let us descend, I said to him, into the crypts. If Filiberta is dead, they could not have buried her elsewhere. It's just like one of those things, it's like, you don't need to describe yourself talking to this guy. Yeah, no. that Nobody would talk like that in real life, Yeah, where you describe your own dialogue in perfect detail yeah no i would like like if i was describing it, it's like i told him hey we should check out the crypts instead of saying and saying so i told him let's check out the crypts that if she was buried she's buried there it's like yeah. that's not how i would describe it yeah like, it's, it's just it's so unnatural it really is yeah no it's like mussolini wanted to write this as like a scene and he just decided to write it as dialogue instead Yeah, it's really fucking weird. Yeah, it's bad. My words came from my mouth uh, like a mere breath, yet to me they seemed shouted aloud. We walked on tiptoe and our steps reverberated ominously. I like to imagine he's like trying, he's really trying to get into the story he's telling. Yeah. I reached for the hand of Antonio. It was cold. We don't need to know this. Yeah. Why are you telling these people that? You're wasting these men's, men's time. Yeah, I, somebody's checking his fucking watch. He's here for politics, not to get told a spooky story. Yeah. <laughs> I find, to find the gate of the crypts, we had to make the whole circuit of the church. 
Before descending, we put down our arms, except for the dagger which we might need to prize open the cover of the tomb. Holding fast to one another, we crept down the stair. After reaching the bottom, we groped our way, holding our hands outstretched before us to orient ourselves against a possible enemy. Into our dilated pupils. Why would you say that? Yeah. Why? <laughs> yeah. Wholly unnecessary. Our dilated pupils. When is somebody going to tell him to get on with it? Yeah. Get on with it. Yes. Get on with it. Get on with it. <laughs> Into our dilated pupils penetrated no ray of light. But to our ears came the sound of foul nocturnal insects fleeing at our approach, while the moldy odor of these funereal catacombs stunned us, suffocated us. Hey, hey, there were bugs and mold down there, guys. <laughs> yeah. It's like, we don't need to know this. Yeah, it's a fucking crypt, dude. Yeah, just say, hey. Nobody's we, taking good care yeah, of it. Yeah, you don't need that. <laughs> we must have light, said Antonio. But where shall we get it? I recalled that upon the high altar, the eternal light of the sacrament was burning. I found the stairs again, and I made my way toward the altar. I felt a moment of hesitation, because it seemed to me that I was committing a sacrilege. I removed the lamp. The flame fluttered, as though it was about to become extinguished. And through a mass of... Sh <laughs> that was like a Boston accent there when I said mass. Mm-hmm. And through a mass of shadows, fantastic, enormous, fearful, upon the floor, behind the nave, upon the ceiling. Jesus Christ, stop being so flowery, dude. You're yeah. telling them what happened. Yeah. But anyway, I'm, I'm going to pick up here because this is the part where, where the character I like to call the rules lawyer comes in. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. But at this point, a voice interrupted the narrator. It was a priest seated beside the prior a subtle and sophisticated fellow who had lived long in Rome and had carried away with him a taste for judicial questions and a mania for disputation. Excuse me, Don Benicio, if I interrupt the flow of your dramatic narrative. Even he's just like, yeah. hey, hey, you're- Someone you're, did come. Yeah, even he's just like, hey, you're, you're going on too long. Like, Which, come on, man. Yeah. I have to get to dinner after this. I have yeah. soccer practice for my kids. <laughs> soccer practice. <laughs> if I interrupt the flow of your dramatic narrative, which so holds us all in suspense, but in your action there are the elements of sacrilege. You have committed robbery. For your personal ends, you took from the altar the lamp which no one may take <laughs> and no one may extinguish. I place, a, I place your case before my colleagues present, and in particular before our eminent director. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you're investigating, like, this, like, this massive cover-up of, like, some, like, this guy imprisoning and, like, this, his niece and, like, other, like, improprietaries, but you move this lamp. <laughs> How dare you, sir? This guy's a fed. Oh, God, I, I peaked the mic so much. Oh, yeah. I was watching, you went up to red. <laughs> oh, God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry to anyone who may be listening. Yeah, it's like, you know, you moved this lamp. Yeah, this guy murdered someone, but you jaywalked. <laughs> this guy's a fed. That's yeah. what he is. He's <laughs> a fucking snitch. He definitely, he's ratted out yeah. people. Don Benizio is going to, like, end up with two bullets in the back of his head. <laughs> two two crossbow bolts. After after the feds, FBI threatens, like, tells him to commit suicide. Yeah. Uh, the question so unexpectedly raised did not fail to surprise Don Benicio and the other priests. The Council of Trent had fixed the tenets of the faith, 
but had not excluded the possibility of theological discussions. Each case had its own interpretation, variable according to the time, the place, and the form. The present case might be stated thus. Had Don Benicio committed sacrilege or not in taking from the high altar the eternal lamp? In these terms, the prior submitted the thesis to his colleagues, inviting them to give their opinions briefly. It's just like, bro, this is not the time for this. Yeah, just wait a minute. Yeah, like, this can be dealt with afterwards. Yeah, like, this is bad writing, too, because it's interrupting the actual story we're here for. Yeah, I know. Like, come on. We want to hear more about the murder, not this arcane fucking legal shit. Yeah. By the church. Yeah. The first to demand a hearing was Don Rascali, who we will not hear about again, like most of the other names we hear about in this chapter. He officiated in Santa Maria Maggiore. I don't care. Yeah. (laughs) He's not relevant. And was known as a zealous curate of souls and of bodies. He rose to his feet and leaned over the table, his tall and distorted figure bent like a crossbow. His face, his lean face was framed by reddish hair. His eyes had the penetrating glance of men accustomed to impose their will. The subtle lips terminated in the line that is characteristic of ungoverned and malignant temperaments. So he's an asshole. (laughs) Yeah. The case which has been raised... uh, uh, Yeah, this is Riscali. The case which has been raised at this moment does not merit the honor of a long discussion. The doctors of the Hebraic law reproved Jesus because he worked miracles even on the Sabbath day, consecrated by the ancient laws to absolute repose. You know the response of Christ? What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep, and if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will not he not lay hold on it and lift it out? This is not precisely the same case, objected the sophist. The terms of the comparison are not exact. It was not to lift up an ass or to find a lost sheep that Don Benicio took the sacred and perennial flame from the altar. He was constrained to commit the act through forgetfulness or improvidence. Don Benicio knew that there was no light in the crypts. He should have provided himself with a requisite requisite torches. He he executed a vague gesture and continued. However, it is far from my idea to make a the make of this a casus theologicus uh, a theological case. Yeah, it might form the matter of a future discussion. I merely raised it academically. Incidentally, no, you fucking didn't. Yeah, no, he absolutely intended to like get Don Benicio thrown in prison. Yeah, the prior who had wrinkled his brow and closed his and who closed his eyes in the attitude of one who seeks the solution of some grave problem, extended his hands with the hooked fingers on the tablecloth and pronounced his verdict. It is not possible to speak of sacrilege in the present instance. It is true that Don Benicio could have provided himself with the necessary torches and would thus not have not been obliged to take the altar lamp. But since the sacred lamp did not leave the church, but instead remained on consecrated ground, any sacrilegious character attributable to the action disappears. The prelates accepted the sentence of the prior with bowed heads, and Don Benicio continued. So, <laughs> this the, it, it got dropped so quickly. I know. It, it got dropped so quickly, and yet it was not quickly enough. Yeah. He needed to either keep going with it, or he needed to resolve that quicker. 
because I, I think the point he's trying to make is there's actually an important matter where there's like, you know, somebody died, but all of these priests yeah. are now just arguing over stupid fucking yeah. rules. And I, and I get this might be part of the satire, like him making, like criticizing the clergy, but I don't like it's not coming off. This is this is coming off as genuine, as like a yeah. genuine conflict and not like satire. Yeah. Like how I would have done it, just one paragraph, uh, not even with dialogue, just describing someone interjecting and then writing like and then they argued for like an hour about it. Yeah. But it's uh, just like before just shelving it for another day. Yeah. But it, it just becomes kind of irrelevant. Yeah. It, it really is not relevant at all. Yeah. Uh, anyway, if you want to pick up from here. I held the lamp at the height of my forehead, and we were to able to distinguish the details of the space into which we had descended. Within crypts dug out of the solid rock and, and extended to conform to the foundations of the church were the tombs of the deceased nuns. An insupportable stench took away our breath. Black spiders wove their webs in the angles from crypt to crypt. The entire wall was pierced with deep holes in which the bats and the insects of the tombs hid themselves. God, we're back to this shit. Yeah, lots of bugs are down there. We get it. It's a fucking crypt. Yeah. Why are you telling all of this useless information? Don Benizio would make a good dungeon master. He would. He's not a very good... Uh, this is like important legal and political shit right yeah i know it's just like these are superfluous details cut to the chase there was a murder and it got covered up you kind of need to get to the point here buddy yeah <laughs> we proceeded further inclining our heads as we entered the crypts believing that the rough wooden lids of the sepulchers bore the names of the entombed but all were nameless in the presence of death at the back there was a wooden casket still intact a strange pres presentiment uh carried us thither i passed several times lamp in hand by this object of white fur not yet contaminated by the unclean animals which inhabit the bowels of the earth the count of castel nuovo trembled like a leaf not me though i didn't <laughs> for that i was scared but you know not that scared hit him though <laughs> should have seen him it is here, he said, in a voice which was scarcely a thread of sound. My heart does not deceive me. But he dared not kneel to lift the lid and ascertain the horrible reality. I insinuated the point of my dagger at the joining of the planks close to the nails. I had overcome the first sensations of horror. My companion, seated at the edge of an adjacent crypt, regarded me with eyes like those of a slaughtered sheep. The point of the dagger penetrated the wood which creaked a lament such as to make one shudder. Little by little, I loosened all of the boards of the lid. I am so frustrated with this writing. Yeah, I know. I, I know I keep harping on this point, but this is... God, it would have been much better if he just described the actual scene as it happened and not fucking talking about it forever. Yeah. All right. We were not deceived. It was the remains of Filiberta. The acrid odor of decomposing human flesh compelled us to draw back a few paces. Then Antonio wished to see the woman whom he had so loved, so desired. The body was recognizable by the golden hair which fell over the pure forehead and by the eyes not yet contaminated. 
but from the lips decomposed into a ferocious grin oozed a dense, whitish liquid. Ah, oh, finally, we're out of that for now. <laughs> yeah. Don Benicio dwelt on this disagreeable detail, knowing it would not frighten the inquisitorial souls which heard him. For it is a characteristic of the Catholic Church, such a descriptive apotheosis of youth, beauty, and flesh, of the mortal body which in the cold solitude of the sepulchres returns to vile dust, while the soul, purified and freed of its mortal remains, awaits the summons of the apocalyptic trumpet of the Most High Judge. I think that's supposed to be satire there, criticizing yeah. like Catholic beliefs. But again, it just kind of comes off as sincere. It's like, yeah. yeah, that's what, yeah, that's what they think. Yeah, that is more or less accurate. Yeah, I mean, it's just like I get. I guess he could be like, hey, that's kind of wacky, and it's just like, well, I mean, it's just like that's not going to appeal to very many people, honestly, yeah. at this time. Like, okay, dude. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I that's what I would say to Mussolini if you ask my opinion on this chapter. Yeah. Okay, dude. Yeah. Uh, mind if I pick up from here? Uh, go ahead. Yep. Moreover, Don Benicio was accustomed to the sight of corpses. Why? <laughs> Why? Well, I guess he's like a priest. I guess he has to like do yeah. like. But hold on, the next line, the next line. Read yeah. that real quick. It, oh yeah, it gave him pleasure to speak of death. What the fuck? <laughs> Why are you so weird, man? He felt a secret satisfaction in the consoling thought of worms devouring fiber by fire the proud carcass of man. Okay, that's good satire. Finally, a good satirical line. Good job, Mussolini. You did, you it. did it. Woo! We'll throw him a party. Yeah. Uh, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> no one could escape this destiny, neither prince nor pope, nor the fair women whom Don Benicio coveted with that lust which is born of forced chastity flagellated by wanton thoughts of Im images of bestial unions. Okay, here we go. Here's the scathing criticism that's yeah. actually pretty good. Because, like, cause like um, obviously, um, Emmanuel, he's like, he has the hots for Claudia, and that's, that, that's, that's taboo. That's a no-no. That ain't kosher. Yeah. But um, here's Don Benicio, who's just like, oh man, dead bo dead women and bestiality. Oh yeah, oh uh, yeah, that sounds great, man. What a <laughs> fucking guy. Yeah, and th although I will say, this comes out of fucking nowhere. Yeah, before now, I thought he, I would hate to listen to him, but I thought he was kind of all right. Yeah, he was like, he was just like, okay, he's he's like trying to deal with the impropriety of a fellow like clergyman. And it's like, no, he's also a sicko. Yeah. Nor Claudia Particella, a courtesan of Trent. I like how it's calling her a courtesan. It's like just calling her a prostitute, just calling her a sex worker. Kinda, yeah. One more of that band of celebrated concubines whom Don Benicio had not been able to conquer. Oh, God. Oh, like, fuck. Yeah, what? This comes out of fucking nowhere. It just randomly goes into a long thing about how he, he really wants to have sex. Yeah. When as the lamp flared up, he continued, Antonio had gained a, gazed upon the remains of Filiberta. He raised his hands to heaven and cried, Murderer! Murderer! Even though it's it's not murder, she just got sick. Although, he definitely I mean, imprisoned yeah. her. And I mean, I guess you can manslaughter. You could, yeah, you can make the argument that like part of like her ailment had to do with this. Yeah, like he's definitely at fault. Yeah, I would convict him. Yeah. Uh, 
Then, then he fell as though lifeless to the ground. His breast heaved to the rhythm of a silent sobbing which had suffocated in his throat. I placed a hand upon his mouth to suppress his cries. The nuns slept lightly and might awaken at any sound. I bent over my companion, lifted him up, and obliged him to follow me. We retraced our steps through the church. I replaced the lamp upon the altar. Once more, we climbed the wall and so made our way to the city. During the whole time, the Count shouted curses and cried out for vengeance. Too late, we became aware of a fatal oversight. We had abandoned the tomb without replacing the cover. We had left the dagger in the crypt and our arms in the corner of, of the church. Why? Like, why yeah. would you leave that? How would you forget that? Yeah, the, those are like key items that you brought. Yeah. Those are important. Not even mentioning the fucking, you left the door to the crypt open, basically. Yeah. Like, how would you forget to, like, not fuck that up? Yeah. My story is finished. Oh, thank, thank God. God. <laughs> but, I, but I say to you that those responsible for the death of Filiberta must be punished or the people will revolt. Really? Wow. <laughs> the people are going to get upset, so upset about this. Yeah, like, they've had to deal with some shit, presumably. Yeah, this, this feels kind of inconsequential to them. Yeah, I don't know how this would impact their daily lives. This isn't this is like the equivalent of like a celebrity getting killed. It's like, well, why would I revolt over that? Yeah. Uh there's a lot of other good reasons, but that's not one of them. Yeah. But like the, I, I'd be upset. Yeah. <laughs> but the people as yet, as yet not knowing nothing remarked remarked the prior who like his colleagues had not been greatly moved by the funereal narrative <laughs> i like i was just like he went on this long story and they were just like whatever yeah they're just they were not impressed checking their watches yeah. you know tapping their fingers they will know what soon declared don benicio the theologian intervened to ask who is the per uh who is the person directly and immediately responsible for Philiberta's death? Her uncle, the cardinal. I do not hesitate to say so, replied Don Benicio. Exactly, added Don Riscali. It was by the cardinal's order that Philiberta was imprisoned in the convent of the Holy Trinity. I recall that this was the cause of serious agitation, to, uh, agitation among the people. Again, why are the people so upset about this? Yeah, I... This would like I guess he's I guess he's like a like a public facing figure. Yeah. I I guess it would be like finding out that the president murdered Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Why Keanu Reeves? I don't know. Just like a popular celebrity that came to mind that everybody loves. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it's like the Kennedys having like one of the members of their family like uh lobotomized. Oh yeah. Yeah. But at the same time there wasn't a. I don't think there was a whole lot of uproar at the time for that. Yeah, no, not really. Yeah, it only like, like people only started realizing it was fucked up until like decades later. Yeah. I don't know. Time maybe times were different. I don't know. I don't. I'm not. I'm not in the mindset of someone from the mid 17th century. I can say that most people probably would not care that much. Yeah. An agitation, added Don Benicio, which will doubtless be repeated in more severe form as soon as the truth is known. Uh, under the under these circumstances, asked ask the prior, what action should the chapter take? A priest who had previously remained silent now spoke. He was short and ruddy. 
his gray eyes almost hidden within the puffy rotundity of his cheeks. His lips were pink and sensual. Ooh, sensual? Sensual. Yeah. That's th no, wrong word, Mussolini. Yeah, Use no. Use a different word. It seems to me, he said, <laughs> that it would be well to submit the matter to the papal and the imperial courts. The Principate of Trent must be rescued from a situation which daily becomes more critical. The death of Philiberta, occasioned indirectly by her uncle Emmanuel Madruzzo, is the last drop which makes the vessel overflow. The Council of Trent must be placed under the tutelage. Uh, the Cardinal of Trent must be placed under the tutelage of a man who knows how to rule. Otherwise, our land will be the theater of tumults, and our people will plunge itself into ruin. Yeah, I'm imagining that coming out of the most sensual old man. Yes. Yeah. But the people, interrupted Don Benito, is, is especially hostile to the, to the family of Particella and to Claudia. This woman must be sent away from the Principate. <laughs> like, this woman, why is this, she so influential? Yeah. Like, we know like she was like kind of involved in this, but we, again, we don't know her motivations. Yeah, like, this is a... How does she even fit in here? Why would they be thinking of her during this? I guess there's rumors about her. Yeah. Uh, I am afraid this that will not be easy to do, objected the prior. We must try, insisted Don Benicio, to persuade her to abandon the Principate. And if gentle methods will not prevail, then we must frighten her away. The moment seems to me particularly prop proprietous. You, said the prior, in your quality of private secretary to the cardinal, might accept that mis that mission. Very willingly, if the chapter has not to urge to the contrary, replied the priest, uh, and a diabolical flash of satisfaction gleamed in his eyes. That, then we are agreed, concluded the, pri concluded the prior, that we shall write an urgent and full com communication to the Pope and to the Emperor, begging their intervention in the affairs of the Principate. In the meantime, it will be well to calm the passions of the people. Ours is a ministry of peace and goodwill. If events should precipitate themselves, I shall not fail to summon you. And now we can go our several ways. And that is the end of chapter three. Woo! Yeah. Uh, I call this chapter, Guy Really Wants to Play Dungeons and Dragons. I think that's fair. That's a fair title for this chapter. Uh, he, he really wants to DM, but none of his friends are ever able to, you know? Yeah, I know, because like, that, that description just went for so long. And he was way too detailed. Like, yeah. Guy, just say, yeah, we snuck in and found her corpse. Yeah, like, if there was a chapter before this one describing them breaking into the convent... Fine. Yeah, that would have been cool. And then have this chapter be the one where it's the meeting. But then he just, like, he just had the guy describe everything. It's just, like, in excruciating detail. Yeah, it feels a lot more awkward to read with it being dialogue rather than a scene. Yeah, I know. And it's just, like, it, it just didn't need to be dialogue. It should have been written out as a scene. Yeah. And then the fucking interruption partway through. Like, I get what they were, what Mussolini was going for there. I know what he was trying to do. He yeah. wanted to be like, oh, there was a murder, but look at these priests. They're all just discussing yeah. fucking bullshit. Yeah, they're all, uh, like, like, focusing on this minute detail. He moved a lamp. He moved a lamp, Jake. 
oh my god, this is yeah. gonna threaten uh, the sanctity of the church. And then this other guy's just like, well, he didn't take it out of the church, so it's fine. Yeah. Like, but you could have done that a lot quicker. Just like, again, a paragraph. Yeah. Would have been good. Uh, that would have gotten the satire across a lot better than yeah, it's, it's just, going on about it. Yeah, this just feels like, it just feels sincere. Yeah. Uh, except until we get to the part where Don Manizio is just like, oh yeah, dead yeah. women. Yeah, randomly, <laughs> randomly just uh, starts thinking about how much he wants to fuck. Yeah, no, that, that came out of fucking nowhere. It's it like, really did. Yeah, no, it's like that. That's like okay. I get what you're going for, Mussolini. That's the satire. That's that's good. Make it flow a bit better. Yeah, I would actually like put that in a different chapter, a later chapter. We have to yeah. learn that. Like have him start off as almost like a good guy. Yeah, and then we learn that he's exactly the same as. Madrid's yeah, no, no, that would have been so much more effective. Yeah, instead we learn it almost immediately. Well, not even immediately. He spends most of the time talking and then randomly just says it. Yeah. Well, not says it. Thinks it. Yeah. But it's just like... Like... And I do... I will say, I do think that's my favorite chapter. Just because of the intrigue and the stuff going on yeah. the secrecy. It's just like... I just wish that wasn't all dialogue. Yeah. If if it had been its own chapter, uh, the, breaking and what, the breaking in and whatnot, would have been my favorite... And then the council probably would have been a much smoother scene. As it stands, my favorite is chapter two. Yeah, chapter two was also decent. Again, just, I mean, like, they're both a step up from chapter one, but that's not hard to do. Yeah, you remember how uh, in the first chapter, our main complaint is that there's, like, no dialogue at all? It's all descriptions? Yeah. He really heard that, I guess. He heard us talking about him in the past. Yeah, no. Mussolini just getting a word for, like, two 20, 21st century guys in a basement. Yeah. <laughs> just being like, yeah, no, Mussolini, yeah, no. Like, that first chapter, too much description, not enough dialogue. And Mussolini's like, huh? What? What's going on? <laughs> oh, I know how to fix this. And also, he can somehow understand English. Yeah. Just randomly knows how to. <laughs> yeah. But... Anyway, this is better. I'm now more interested. Yeah, I am now a lot more hooked into the story, at least. Yeah. I, I don't, again, I don't know how many people continued to read after chapter one. Yeah, I really wouldn't have, except this is, like, what we decide to spend our weekends doing, I guess. <laughs> yep. Apparently. I don't know. I will I will get that, uh... More stuff on actual Mussolini, just on his life. Next week, I promise, I will get there. Again, I'll, I will at least get through World War One. Yeah. Uh, hopefully to the March of Rome. Hopefully, hopefully World War One goes quickly because hopefully it's just like he was he was in the war. Yeah. And then he got. I think he got like hurt by a grenade and he got discharged. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was something like that. Yeah, he got he got injured and he was like, "Hey, I'm out." Yeah, I mean, Hitler lost a ball in World War One, so. Well, what, what's up with that? Uh, these leaders getting injured. Yeah. Or future leaders. Yeah. But, um, but yeah. Uh, so hopefully the book continues to be better than chapter one. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I think that's going to do it for this episode. 
Yeah. Anyway, as always, uh, the, we don't know how to make a podcast. You can uh, yell at us and tell us what we're doing wrong so we can be better by reaching out to us at howtheleftwasonepod at gmail.com. Or you can reach us on Twitter at HTLWW underscore pod, uh, which I'm getting better at remembering that nickname, that not nickname, that abbreviation now. Nickname. <laughs> yeah, that's the nickname for the podcast. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we are on most major podcasting platforms, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon Music, uh, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, Spotify Slapbook, <laughs> Radio Radio Public, that one that's like, oh, this is a thing that exists. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I don't know. that Those are the ones that Red Circle lets me upload to. Yep. Uh, I, I didn't. That that's what's good. Red Circle is the free option for podcast hosting. Yeah, I mean broke. it has all of the good ones. Yep, it has the it it covers most of the bases. But yeah, you can find us on those platforms. Even though if you're listening to us, you've already found us somehow. True. Yeah. Again, I mentioned in like our first episode. I don't understand why people oftentimes like read off the places you can find the podcast. You found it already. Yeah. <laughs> I guess if they have a preferred one. Yeah. I suppose. Or maybe if you want to show it to a friend. But still, it's like, you found it. You know yeah, where it is. Good job. And also, it's just like, podcasts are just like, like, you know where the apps are for the podcasts. It's just like, yeah, <laughs> your device probably has a default one, and then the other ones are just like, easy to find. Like, if you have an iPhone, it's Apple. It's Apple Podcasts. If you have yep. an Android, it's Google Music. And then it's just like, Spotify, Amazon Music, those are easy to find. And then everyone mm -hmm. knows Stitcher. Yep. We're not on Podbean, though. Ah, shucks. Yeah. But anyway, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, next week, hopefully, we will be back to reading about Mussolini. Um, and not reading Mussolini. Yeah, and not reading what he wrote. Uh, but anyway, my name is Mike. My name is Jake. Uh, this has been How the Left Was Won. Goodbye, everyone. Bye.